Some things in relationships, they get adjudicated, right? You have a meeting and you decide them. Um, there are certain things that have happened in my family, in my marriage, that we, we planned. Other things just sort of happened. Like, I don't, there was some point at which we decided I was driving. Like, there was never a conversation. She's a perfectly good driver. Um, she's probably a better driver. But somewhere along the way, she was like, no, you're good, you drive. Uh, but she didn't say it. We just did it. The other thing I knew from the very beginning, no conversation, I knew my role, um, a very important one. Because my wife, who is brilliant, well-educated, well-spoken, she's charming, she's lovely, she's wonderful. But when roaches make an appearance, <laughs> not only does she show feats of athletic ability that would put her in the Olympics, there are moments when her vocabulary skews Let's move on. Um, and so my job uh, is to make sure that the roaches don't do whatever they're going to do. But I, I'm not complaining. I, I feel a little bit heroic, like, like a little bitty cape, little bit like roach-sized cape off the back of my shoulders. When there's a roach, she jumps up onto a kitchen table, and I can say, I'll handle it. That and I, somewhere along the way, I became in charge of sort of like the technology. And it, folks that know me know that's hysterical because I'm, I'm kind of an old-fashioned folk. Uh, I like, you know, yellow legal pads and, and pens that are heavy. This is not, not where things are. But somewhere along the way, I kind of technology stuff, electronics especially in the house, that became my thing. So, like, I don't have it, but if I had a, a card, it would say Trammell Corporation, Vice President of Roaches and Wireless Internet. That's what it would say on my card at the house. I would hand it out to people. Like, yeah, I live next door. This is what I do. Um, I had, somebody at 930 said, couldn't you get promoted to president? I said, my performance review last year did not go well. So, um, no. So, the, recently I came home, um, and uh, Holly, my wife, said, hey, the, the wireless internet's not working. Now, 20 years ago, that sentence wouldn't have made sense. 10 years ago, I'm not sure that we were all that plugged in. I mean, we were plugged in, but not wireless. And now, it's as if she has said the indoor plumbing has been removed from the house. <laughs> we now have an outhouse in the back 40 that you must use. Right? That's the cultural sort of understanding. So um, my little cape starts to come back, and I say, okay, I'm on it. Hey, did, did you try resetting it? <laughs> and she said a couple times and kind of smiled. And I said, okay, let's go, boys. My children follow me, I have to make sure I have a cup of coffee, and I John Wayne myself over the router. <laughs> and I see it. Uh, that's a saunter, by the way. If you don't know how to John Wayne, you got a saunter. And then uh, the lights that, that should be all green, some of them aren't. They're various shades of orange and red, not good. I know immediately there's a problem. She said she reset it, but let's check, right? So I... <laughs> I didn't mean to damage a marriage two-thirds of the way back over here. I'm sorry for that. Um, so I do the little reset button. Soft reset, not a hard one. Soft reset. The lights come back on pretty quick on that one. Still red. Okay. I said, okay, you guys, uh, sip of coffee. Next level, we turn it off. Power off. Power back on. Watch for the lights. They kind of dance a little bit. Still red. A little orange. All right. <sighs> Unplug it. <laughs> Let's count to 20. The three-year-old even helps out with that part. Very good. It's more like two and a half minutes, but we get to 20. We get to 20. Plug it back in. 
still no good. So then the guy's, well, what do we do now? And I was like, well, you close the door. And we call tech support. <laughs> so I call tech support, um, and it takes me a bit because the initial encounter is with more machines. And I'm calling about a machine. I'd like to talk to a mammal, preferably a human at this point. And so it takes me a bit to get there. And finally I get there, and the guy's helpfully goes, how can I help you, Mr. Tremont? And I said, um, I'm having a wireless internet problem. And he said, did you reboot it? I said, sure. He goes, well, hey, let's just go through these steps. The, the three things that I did. I did the soft reset, the, the power off, and then I unplugged it and counted it. We counted it together. The kids helped. I said, yeah, it's still not working. He goes, okay, Mr. Chairman, let me, let me confirm your address because uh, I'm going to send you a new box, a new router. Apparently, the end of the industrial age, this amazing computing technology has all ended with we reset it, turn it off, and unplug it, or we get a new one. That's the, that's the plan. Is that, are we all agreed on that? That's what we're doing. They mail us a new router. I plugged it in. Green lights, indoor plumbing for all my friends. It's fantastic. <laughs> the funny thing is, we all know, at least many of us know, that, that rebooting, restarting is the process we go through. Now, whether or not it can be fixed or whether the, the cost analysis on whether it's worth sending repair people to do anything anymore, I don't know. Uh, but what I know is that most of the time, that reboot, that restart, that reset, and even the unplugging, the hard reset, uh, works. And I'm kind of curious. I'm, oh, what's the word? 930 knew it. Somebody back here goes, a nerd. I was like, yes, that's correct. I'm a nerd, so I like to like find these things out. Why? Like, why does that work? Do you, do you want? I mean, I realized that really, when it was not working, we just want to solve the problem. It's a thing to be fixed. We want to move on to whatever we can do. It's a it's a tool. It's it's something we care deeply about. But if we did, if like it wasn't a router, it was like our lives, or like one of our kids, or like a, a family member, or a friend, or somebody at work we cared about, we wouldn't think they're having problems. Oh, they're working now. I don't care at all why that happened, or why the thing that happened next help make it better. We'd want to know why. So I got on the internet because I have it now. Green lights all the time. And I looked it up and it's fascinating. Uh, all the things that are written about why does the reboot solve so many problems on computers and routers. Uh, turns out that the router, didn't know this, is a sort of single purpose computer in and of itself. Some of you are like, absolutely, you're the wrong kind of nerd or you'd know that. Um, it's a single kind of purpose, simple computer that has a uh, particular focus to what it works. But it works very similar to like your laptop or your desktop, your computer, in which it does processes all the time. And during doing those processes, apparently, it accesses RAM. I've heard RAM before. I've seen it on like the sheet when I was buying a computer. I have never known what it meant, which I know sounds irresponsible. There may be, you know, RAMs that are suffering on behalf of my computer. I should be more aware as a consumer. But it's random access memory. And I thought, that's interesting. I experience most of my memories as randomly accessed. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm driving along and I'm like, you know what? My mom was right. Um, it's randomly accessed memory. You know, it's randomly accessed memory. It's a part of like the space in between things that are getting done. And I, I'm sure there's some tech folks here that can explain this better, but my understanding is between the video card and the, the, the central processing unit, the software, the hardware, there's all these interchanges, exchanges, things are happening, random things are getting picked up to be used for a moment, but not that long. There's temporary files that happen. There's unimportant things that get, they get stored there, not saved permanently, but right there. And when the connections between those processes get cluttered up with so many pieces of random 
unimportant uh, temporary files. It can slow things down and eventually stop it. And what happens when we unplug a device, apparently, is that gets wiped. It goes away, and that's generally the problem. It solves uh, a mini percentage of the technical solutions. And so um, when that restart happens, and I love this language, uh, the tech folks say this, it puts the machine back in a known good state. Now, I'll let you know on something. This is the moment in the research where I realize I'm not just a nerd. I'm going to get to use this in a sermon. <laughs> a known good state. That taking out all the temporary, random, unimportant, picked up along the way from exchanges and frictions, getting unplugged and replugged back in, puts the machine back in a known good state. Now, if it doesn't, or if the machine doesn't know it's known good state anymore, if there's malware or a virus, it has to be taken back to a hard reset. All the way white back, it's called setting it back to factory conditions. I saw, like, cracked up thinking about this, thought, like, I'm going to call my mom and be like, Mom, I've been having some issues with me. I'd like to know, do you remember the factory conditions that I, original makeup? We can't do that. We maybe want to, but maybe we think about what that might mean. So the factory condition, that's if something pernicious, something malicious, something has attached itself to the core process so it can no longer get back to its designed good state. Let me talk about what it means to be human as the year starts. It's the season of resolutions. It's the time in which people say, I'm going to commit myself to a new process. I'm going to uh, be healthier in this way. I'm going to be more practical in this way. I'm going to focus my uh, time and attention, or I'm going to grow in my spirituality, whatever that might be. And so we thought uh, last fall that we would have a series about uh, being human and a user guide, since my mom didn't give me one, at least not written down. Um, and last week, we looked at the scripture from uh, the Magi coming from uh, to see the star and being guided to Bethlehem to see Jesus and the different models of humanity that are there. You have Herod sitting in positions of power but afraid and anxious and then violent. And then you have Jesus who creates family and expands possibility and is a human whose very presence is vulnerable yet empowering. And these different ways in which the world invites us to model ourselves as humans. I can tell you the Herodian model is replicated over and over again. This morning we turn to Mark's gospel, the second chapter. It's the end of the second chapter, the beginning of the third, which um, was one more reminder that the chapter uh, markings are added. They're helpful. They're not a bad thing. They're, they're added, though, and so sometimes we think Mark finished, no, chapter two. I'm going to take a break. These were added later, and so sometimes we need to read past those, particularly when the topic, as this will today, holds together because they help us have a more robust and deeper understanding of what God may be saying to us. So let's listen now and see if we can't hear God speak to us in the words that Mark has penned in chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, that's Jesus, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Which I just got to tell you, I have this image of like Pharisees like jumping out of like a deer hunting blind. <laughs> and they're in the granary, I knew it, you're eating on the Sabbath. Um, which is probably what we think too. The Pharisees seem to kind of come in and be a foil in the gospel sometimes. Most likely they're journeying with Jesus. Jesus at this point is a known rabbi in the Galilee area. He's making a pretty good name for himself. People are getting healed. People keep coming away amazed at his teaching. We're early, but it doesn't take long for the curious when they encounter Christ to realize they've encountered something pretty potent. 
And so the Pharisees are folks who believed that they were looking for God's blessing for Israel through the keeping and holding of the law. And the law was given by God. It's a good thing. Jesus doesn't uh, say it should go away. But the Pharisees are a particular group, and they're not, by the way, the sort of moral police of the first century. It's kind of how we hear them sometimes. The Sadducees have real power. Uh, Jesus argues with the Pharisees for three years. He argues with the Sadducees for like a week. And then the end of that week is the cross. So it'll tell you the power dynamic that's a little different there. Now, the Pharisees are complicit in that, like we all are. But get that in your mind. Like they, These are people who are asking similar questions to Jesus. They're probably trying to learn. And then they think, this is interesting. And then they see something that says, whoa, that doesn't fit with how we understand it's going to work. They pluck grain. It's the Sabbath. And they're not supposed to do that. You can't glean on the Sabbath. You can eat bread. It's been baked before. But you can't glean on the Sabbath. So says the instruction of the law. And he said to them, this is Jesus, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God, that's the temple, special place, when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence. The bread that reminded the people of the provision of God in the wilderness wanderings when they got the law on the way to the land where they had been delivered from Egypt. There they were slaves, here they're going to a land of their uh, own inheritance. And the Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath, thou shalt keep that Sabbath and honor it and keep it holy, is in that instruction that Moses brings down. This is the way that God's people are to live to be God's people. They've come out of um, slavery in Egypt. There are a bunch of different kinds of folk. They all, you know, people, we're leaving, you're leaving? We're leaving too, let's go. Everybody's leaving. What makes them God's people is that they're the people who live in this way. The people who keep these laws. And so uh, this is all, the obser observation that the presence in the temple, this bread, reminds them of God's provision. It's the Holy of Holies, only priests eat it. It's a big deal. All right. This is not lawful for any but the priest, Jesus says, to eat. And he gave some to his companions. David, King David, in his desperation, eats the holy bread in the presence that reminds people of God's presence in the holy temple set apart for God's provision in wilderness wandering. Then Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And we could end there and be perfectly fine, it'd be true. It would be a, a passage we might take out and it would be right that Jesus' authority is like David's but more. He can talk about the law and even explain it to people who are trying to understand the purpose and point of the law and in so doing perhaps even present it in a way that they had not understood as the fulfillment of the law. And that, that the Sabbath itself was something that needed to be kept in this way. And Jesus made sure it had broad scope and was Lord of that. And that it existed not that we might keep the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath might do things for us. We, we can stop there. But let's continue and pick up this next Sabbath story. And I think we'll get to what God's word's up to for us today. Again, he entered the synagogue. So that we think a week later here. Think a week later. And a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, I tried to give you like a more rust view of the Pharisees, but this looks pretty much like we fear, right? These are the folks waiting online at any moment to find you said the wrong word and fire back at you or at your work or whatever that are just looking for something to be wrong. Imagine knowing that Jesus could bring healing to someone and be worried he would do it at the wrong time. He's, yes, after hours. It's not the time, Jesus. This is the Sabbath. Knowing he has the power and worrying he might do it. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, this is Jesus to the Pharisees or those that are concerned about this, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life 
or to kill. And they were silent. My guess is because they don't know. What he's asked them is, you know that there's a rule about the Sabbath. Do you know why? Why is an important question for Jesus. He seemed to talk about it quite a lot. The purpose of something. The purpose of the law, Jesus would say, is not undone and still very much at work in the kingdom he is ushering in in his ministry and the good news let loose in his death and resurrection. Why the law was given was to show a way for the people to live as God's people. And many times it kept people from doing things that did great damage to themselves or to others and actually gave them ways to encounter community and people who live in their community and each other and God in ways that lined up with the design and desire of God's heart for people. In a sense, it reveals some of the known good state for human lives, which in the stumbling and folly of human life had been lost and still is and so still has value, but he wants to know what's it for. Is it to give life or to take it? Is it a weapon or is it the way? He looked around and looked at them with anger. And he was grieved. This is Jesus, mad and sad at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Did you catch the sort of subtle jab at the bottom? They leave the worship and go do the harm thing on the Sabbath. They go plotting that thing. Like apparently you got time for that on a Sabbath, but they don't have time for seeing restoration happen, which Jesus pretty clearly points to as the point of the Sabbath. It's for sustenance and uh, restoration of human life, which is why I think the David food thing comes in from before and the idea of Sabbath being this gift to a people to restore them to their originally designed good state. There was a modern uh, rabbi here a generation ago when asked what the greatest contribution of the Jewish people was to the modern world. And he said, the weekend. As a cultural gift, I mean, I think, thank you. Right, that's pretty good. And we take it to be something negotiated in contracts. It can be the time off or it's a, it's a right of workers and all that's fine. But it's rooted in the ancient world in the amazing declaration that God said, all this labor you do, great, sometimes don't. Imagine what that sounded like to a people that were fleeing the oppression and slave work of Egypt, building all those amazing stone buildings. I don't think they had a pension plan, and I don't believe they had personal time off. They had, do you want me to hit you, or do you want to build that? That, that was the plan, right? It's awful, and they would die young and, and beaten down and worn out, and then when they're going to find out what it means to be Servants of this new ruler, not Pharaoh, but the God of hope and love, they find out it means that every seventh day, don't rest, breathe, and remember that all the labor we could ever conjure won't be enough to build that which God is trying to offer to give us. Remember who we are, the limitations of human life, and the extent and power of God's grace. For subjects can rest when the king is not threatened and all enemies have been defeated. That is the rest of the land. That is the peace of the land that happens. So Sabbath rest is this point and purpose to reflect who God is and who God's people are. And Jesus says it brings life, it brings restoration, it brings wholeness and hope. And the Pharisees say, let's kill it. And the 
tension between them is not that the law says keep the Sabbath. The tension is whether that is a weapon to harm or a gift of grace to bless. And that question lies before us often, brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether some good news of God is indeed a gift to bring blessing or a weapon to harm and to hurt. Jesus doesn't say, stop keeping the Sabbath. Our, our world is so funny about this. So we either, we do have people, I think, kind of like the Pharisees that jump out um, and, and are policing. We think the church's mission is to police moral behavior. Wait, I saw that movie. That was naughty. Don't do that. Right? We, I, I, we, I don't know if the outfit should look at Maybe this. This would be good. I'll wear this. Be like a Monty Python sketch. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> no one expects the Methodist Inquisition ever, I promise. And so we jump out and we do that. That, that would be, we, we don't, that's not the call of Christ, is it? But it also doesn't, we're not to use it as a weapon, but it also means that we don't wash our hands and put our hands up and say, well, since people have used it as a weapon, it isn't the way I want to go anymore. It's the way. And in between those who say follow the rules and those who say whatever you feel and whatever you want to do with your heart, follow that to a, the frozen story. That was, we, we dealt with that in Christmas, didn't we? The ice castle where we let it go. That's not where we want to go. We want to be in community with other people. And it means I got to deal with sometimes my feelings mess me up. And in fact, when I go through my day, I wake up in the morning believing God is good. Do you? I wake up in the morning after my coffee believing that God is good. I believe that God loves everybody, that Jesus went to the cross for every human being, whether they know it or ever acknowledge it ever in their life. I believe that. I believe he died that they might have life, I might have life, abundant and eternal. I believe that every human being is stamped with the image of God that bears that design and desire of God's heart for them and is offered salvation in Jesus Christ. I believe it. And then I get on 1604. <laughs> or I drive down... De Zavala, when Clark lets out, don't do it unless you're ready to meet Jesus. <laughs> or I, I have a conversation with somebody uh, over breakfast, or one of the kids, something's going on with them, or, you know, my wife didn't think that I uh, uh, was funny with that comment uh, about her mother. And um, <laughs> her mom goes here, she's lovely. Um, <laughs> Uh, or whatever it is, the friction kind of came. And, I, you know, and then by lunchtime, uh, I, I look at other people and I, I wonder if I wonder. And these moments come and, and, you know, random, unimportant, temporary things start to control how I process information. Not the profound, deep, eternal truth that I knew when I woke up, but the random, unimportant temporary, sometimes toxic uh, encounters of friction between the connections of my life. And, and so by the afternoon, maybe I'm not nearly so quick to believe the truth, know it about myself, or believe it for others. And so in those moments, that, that little button that's just a really quick, soft reset is exactly what I need. Sometimes Sabbath is a deep breath, a prayer. The practice of daily walking with the grace of God. And sometimes that's enough to reset me back to my known good state. But sometimes it's not enough. Enough days build up and not enough prayer and not enough breath and too many frustrations, too much thinking I can get it done, maybe too much trying to control outcomes that are beyond my capacity to hold on to, which is like every other human, even me. 
And then I need more. And so we, we come back here and we, we, we do this every week. We get into this Bible and we sing these songs and we break bread and we wash with water new folks who confess Jesus. And I, I get a little harder reset back to my known good state. I remember who God is in this place, in these stones, in these stained glass, or in Bible study, or in service to our community, or in our schools where we're at work and God's grace is moving. I see it and I say, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. I know it. I know it's right. And then sometimes the weekly gatherings aren't enough, and that's why those walk to Emmaus, that Kairos walk, those women's retreat, those mission trips, those camp experiences can be so potent and powerful, even the Christian year, Advent and Lent that leads to Easter and Holy Week are these particular seasonal times where we're invited to take a real step back, unplug from all the stories and the random, unimportant, toxic, sticky stuff that gets to us, the sin that clings so closely, Scripture would say. And take a real step back and be washed again, reset back. The Sabbath is not about a nap, although you're welcome to take one that can be holy. The Sabbath is about recognizing the truth. And to do that, we have to get the lights back to green. When the lights are red, we have to unplug. That's what that Sabbath is, an invitation to no longer be stuck in the same process when we're angry all the time or frustrated or, or confused or lost or the things that happen over time. We have barometers for this, temperature readings that give us indications, those warning lights on our life. And especially when we share life with other people, they start to see it sometimes before we do. Your patience light is red. Pastor Holly would say, Ben, you're talking really fast. Are you good? I'm good. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's odd when the Baptists start showing themselves. It's fantastic. Glad you're here. And so these are our journeys together. This past week, I was blessed to spend some time in Los Angeles. Um, we was with the clergy development group, the Texas Methodist Foundation, uh, invests in leadership development, and I've been blessed to be a part of that. Um, and so we were in Los Angeles, and one of the places we mentioned, uh, visited was a place called Homeboy Ministries, led by Father Greg Boyle. If you've seen his book, uh, Tattoos on the Heart or Barking at the Choir, um, yeah, he has an amazing TED lecture you can look up. I show the staff uh, whenever I'm new in a place, talking about mission and vision and God's hope for the world. Catholic priest who 30 years ago was tired of doing gang member funerals in one of the largest housing units in South Central uh, L.A. He was doing these funerals from the violence and the troubles. So what, what can we do? And he began uh, a ministry. And at first, a lot of it was around employment. Their, their slogan early on, maybe the first 10, 15 years was, nothing stops a bullet like a job. I like that. What he said now, 30 years in, and reflecting on it in his time with us, he said, we still do those things. It's still very important. We still do uh, education and a lot of addiction. Mental health work uh, is enormous. Um, there are counseling services. They have like 56 counselors um, doing uh, regular appointments with folks that are choosing a new life for themselves. They create jobs. They connect with jobs. They do education. They do addiction recovery. They do all kinds of stuff for urban renewal. He said, we do all that, though, but the real thing, the thing that actually is the thing we want them to find out about is that they would find out and meet the God of love. That they would find a place where they are cherished. And a community of tenderness. Now, if you told me before last week, hey, let's go to South Central LA and talk about tenderness, <laughs> I would tell you I had plans. But then you go, and you see the tattoo removal, and you see people who were deep in the street life now talking about their work, <laughs> the work they're doing in God's grace in their life. 
and you see uh, levity and joy in the midst of some of the most challenging difficulties humans could ever face, they don't go away. But they, they got reset back to their known good state that they had never known before. They got rebooted back before all the trauma that makes it so hard to remember who we are. It makes it hard to get back to a known good state in which the system processes the reality of God's love for us. And what Father Boyle said was, once we know the God of love, once we're cherished, we learn to cherish others. And once we know the God of love, we start firing all the other gods. Do you know those gods? The God that loves all the people who get it right all the time, whose lives are never hard, whose shirts are tucked in, whose face are always clean, hair's always combed, always in church, sitting in the right pew, spiritual spanks underneath their garbs, they've got it. That God is fired. The God that only loves us when we keep the rules well enough to be lovable, that God is fired. The God that loves people that we like, but hates those people we find annoying, that God is fired. The God that believes um, that the human life is only valuable so far as it has utility for us, that God's fired. The voices that speak to us in quiet moments that say you are unlovable, unlikable, don't belong, and shouldn't hang out, shouldn't be around it, and don't deserve it. All those voices, all those gods fired in favor of the real God, the God of love, who says, come forward. That's what Jesus says. Extend that which was withered. His withered hand comes forward. Extend it. Isn't that interesting? Extend it, and he was restored. So I don't know how your hands are doing, but how's your hope? How's the light? How's the love? How's the life? How's your belief in other people that we share this planet with? How's your relationships? Have all the randomly accessed memories come together and gummed up the mechanism of your life? Because what the scripture today says is come forward, extend it, and watch it restored. So the trick to restoring hope is to share it. The trick to withered life, the abundant life God wants for us, to share it be reset back to or to discover for the first time our known good state as children of a loving blessing beyond imagination good tender community creating force of hope and light and life in the world this is the real God all the other ones fired that we might know that we are cherished you Are there exceptions? No. Not one. Come forward. Extend it. And watch that which has withered be restored. Let's pray. Lord, this world hurts and it's hard and so we develop practices that put us in a story that isn't yours. Sometimes make us loyal to sovereigns that aren't you. And so, Lord, we want to hear the call of Christ to no longer believe that it's in the keeping of something that we're free, but instead knowing that freedom is offered in the way 
of being God's people, through the power of the Holy Spirit let loose in the world through Jesus Christ, who is your declaration of cherishing to a world in rebellion that you call back to yourself in love. May we, as we read the news, as we go about our jobs, as we have our lives, as we try to breathe deeply of your grace, remember and be reminded, learn and to share, extending out and leaning forward so that that which is withered in us may be restored and made whole and that all, all might know your grace, hear your truth, and be restored to wholeness and the known good state of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.